Hey, the Yankees media gets it twisted once again. Dusty Baker clarifies who number two is, and we just want to be number one in your heart. It's lucky number 13 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Hey, welcome to Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange alongside Sports Map Houston senior content contributor Charlie Palillo. You can follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read his weekly column on sportsmap.com. The guy next to him is the one who edits that column. That is sportsmap.com editor and host of ESPN 97.5 and 92.5's Money Line, Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at Josh Jordan 975. Josh, Charlie, welcome in. Three weeks, three days to opening day. The three of us together again, completing three months of this. Who's to complain? Well, probably me at some point, but not about that stuff. Hopefully not the audience. So before we get into the headlines today, guys, we had, you know, we're a couple of weeks into spring training and we're getting to see the new pace of play and shift rules being implemented. And it's not surprising that a lot of the praise I've noticed for these rules are being garnered by people who are in our industry, the people who actually cover the sport, because that makes sense. You want your job to be shorter, not longer. Uh, but, but not all of them. One of the local Astros podcasters and friend of Sports Map, Rob Fontenot, tweeted his displeasure with the new rules. Rob says, I like the idea of a pitch clock to keep pitchers from taking one to three minutes between pitches, but the game seems to be moving too fast. I was thinking about how fast the games will be in uh, how in Minute Park and how I feel like paying $100 per ticket for a two-hour, three-minute game. It's like when you go to the movies and the movie is less than two hours, you feel cheated. He didn't say cheated. He used another word. Um, guys, is, is, there, is there an expectation? Well, we have someone who disagrees. Uh, is, is there an expectation with sports and uh, I guess time spent at an event that where that equals more value for the dollar, Charlie, as your dog weighs in. That would be Theo, by the way. Uh, look, you want quality or you want quantity. Ideally you want both, but right. so far 22 minutes trimmed off the average spring training game. Is that going to feel like the game is over in the blink of an eye? I would suggest that that's not long enough for you. Go home, sit staring at the wall for 20 minutes and call it even. I like the new rules, but, you know, I'm part of the media, so I don't want three and a half hour games. It's just I think back about the quality too, Brandon, like you're saying there, it, if you go to a movie, if it's a great movie, I, I don't care if it's super long or super short. As, as long as I enjoyed the movie, I kind of feel the same way about baseball. And I think back to when Greg Maddox was just dominating with the Braves, those games are like two hours long. I mean, he just yeah. fired in there strike after strike and. I like a fast moving baseball game. I don't need to take, you know, my whole day. So uh, we talked about this a little earlier, Brandon, I'm with you. I don't need to devote the whole day to a game, just maybe a portion of my day. And as far as going to the, the ballpark and maybe feeling like you're not there long enough for me, I live, you know, on, on the outskirts of Houston, like Northwest side, almost to Tomball. Yeah. So I'm looking at almost an hour drive in and then park and then have the game and then another hour drive home. So I don't know. I think it's just fine the way it is. There are reasons that other than Martin Scorsese, I guess the occasional James Cameron flick, that movies are not three hours long. And in baseball's case, it's a movie every day. 
So, hey, whether it's a media member, a fan, some of the players, there'll be an adjustment phase. But where it counts on the field, there's been an average of under two violations per game to this point. I don't think we're going to have an epidemic of ninth inning rallies stopped by an automatic called strike or game winning ball four to walk in a run. There will be an adjustment phase. I'm sure there'll be a couple of, oh, no, that really wasn't the desired change. But uh, I just see no fundamental reason to complain about it. And they should enforce it very hard in spring training and through most, if not all, of this first season. And then you can adjust and adapt. And if you feel, and we touched upon this on last week, specifically late inning games in the postseason, what's the balance between it dragging on endlessly and the drama of sitting on the edge of your seat for an extra few seconds? It is, I think, a little too soon for any one of us to be definitive with our position on whether this is good for the game or not, because we've seen such such a small sample size of it. Um, And I know there's people that have good arguments on both sides. And one of them was our uh, chatter here who uh, made the point about uh, the concessions and, and things like that. And, you know, we talked about that initially as well, where on this podcast, we talked about how sometimes there's that, a delay in getting your concessions and getting to your seat, you're going to miss more of the game now. So I will say it's too soon to judge ultimately, but I've gone to my fair share of games and I don't judge those games by the length of time. I judge them by what would the result of the game? Did I get to witness something that was spectacular? I personally appreciate it when a game or a movie, as he pointed out, can be a moment in my day and not something that dominates my day. It's a baseball game, not a music festival. So I don't have an expectation that I'm going to be camped out there and I'm going to take my beach towel and go sit on the lawn and, you know, make a day of it. But yeah, I I don't want that. And I don't think that adds anything to the game other than just time. We're I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting on the the enforcement part of it because we've had these pace of play games or rules that were meant to speed things up, such as the batters not stepping out of the box. And the enforcement on that became real wonky and to where it became basically, it, it didn't matter. It was negligible, the, any changes. They're going to be enforcing this pretty harshly now. And I think the only way for all of us to really adopt and get past this is if there is real uniform uh, enforcement of this, because I think if we get into this gray area of, uh, well, the ninth inning, it shouldn't be that or, and post games play, it shouldn't be that. Well then, then what's the point? Because I think it goes back to the whole, the hack a shack rule, the NBA, which is why, why are you changing the game? If something is illegal, in any one part of the game, why aren't you enforcing that over the entirety of the game? So it's a long way for me to say I'm in favor of shorter games. I don't know whether it's a positive or a negative step ultimately yet, I, but I'm leaning heavily towards it being a positive step. Yeah, you can't slacken the line on enforcement unless you're just going to slacken the law and you modify the rule that maybe in the eighth or ninth inning, you add a couple of seconds, but not umpire to umpire leeway right over the years we've had umpires who are high ball umpires versus low ball umpires or a wider strike zone versus a narrower strike zone no no no. especially where it's a time clock there's no gray area when that clock hits zero that clock hits zero and it needs to be enforced as such whether it's a justin verlander or a framber valdez on the mound or some rookie no one's ever heard of before and the same for batters in and out of the box whether you're an all-star or a rookie 
Josh, do you have any last word on the uh, on the pace of play or even the shift? Because I, I we saw someone just comment they they think the uh, the no shift rule will be more impactful than the pace of play. But we did see already over the weekend teams are learning how to beat that just by bringing over the extra outfielder uh, and and put them where the shortstop would normally be in the shift. Yeah, left field was basically completely vacant on one of those that I saw. So teams are going to do that. I think a lot of this, guys, is just the pitch clock. Uh, Charlie mentioned something on TikTok last week where it was Altuve doing in-the-park home runs while we were watching on another (laughs) screen somebody stepping off and just trying to shake off signs and get to the next pitch. And there's similar videos to that where you're – you're watching them go through the single, all the sign sequences and shaking off and stepping off, and it's it's just taking forever. So I think pitchcom is really going to be a big help in just getting that pitch called and and moving it along, man. I, long games are okay if they're exciting and, and interesting. We're only trimming out guys stepping out and adjusting their batting gloves, and I mean it's it's not action. So I think it's going to be great. I welcome the change. And every batter does get one timeout per at bat. If he needs to step out and gaze around a stadium for a couple of seconds or really refocus on the pitcher. So you do have that one reset where the, the clock stops. Uh, I think everyone should be just fine. This is baseball Darwinism. Adapt or die. And to your point on concessions, let's hope, Brandon, at the Astros properly staff dollar dog nights. Yes, let, let's hope. Um, I, I think to, to put a bow on this topic, I think what's going to be interesting is how this impacts pitchers as they begin to fatigue and wear on during the game. Because right now we're talking about how it gives an advantage to the pitcher because the batter has less time and kind of really think about where they're at in the count and what the pitcher may look to do in that position. And so if the pitcher can keep it moving steadily, then they can kind of stay ahead of the cadence of the batter, let's say. But Uh, there's also something that happens when a pitcher uh, loses feel and maybe he's not able to command certain pitches. The game starts moving a little fast. And and in those instances, you'll see catchers like Maldi uh, or even the pitching coach go out and do a visit, kind of slow him down because the game's moving a little fast for him. So there are going to be instances in which I know guys like Jose Arquiti already work at a very brisk pace and a pitch clock's not going to affect him at all. But there is something to be said once you've put a few pitches on the board and you're five innings into the game, you're starting to you know, sweat a little bit and you don't really have the uh, ability to take a breath. We may see shorter hooks now for guys because you don't really have a way to manage uh, guys in their, in their pace once they're deep into innings and, and maybe have like uh, 80 pitches on them. So some, something to keep an eye on. If conditioning is an additionally valued out of pitchers, I'm good with that too. Man, Roy Oswalt would say 15 seconds, <laughs> give me seven and I'll be fine. Yeah, they don't make them like Royo uh, much anymore. So let's move on to our first topic here. If you ever needed more proof, guys, that journalism is on life support, I submit Elite Sports New York. One of their bloggers, Josh Benjamin, wrote up his early preview of the 2023 season, and he put the hot take stove on high. His column is called Astros Have Become MLB's Dallas Cowboys. And we lifted some excerpts from the column, so you don't have to read it. Uh, The first quote that got our attention was this one. uh, What people don't realize is major changes are underway in Houston. 
There's been significant roster and front office turnover, and soon the Astros will morph into MLB's version of the Dallas Cowboys. And in the section under greatest weakness, Benjamin writes, uh, the Astros might still be a good team, but the offseason made something very clear. Jim Crane is now running the show. Crane feels the need to be hands-on and in control after the cheating scandal, much like Jerry Jones in Dallas. One can only hope he can keep building the winners and unlike Jones, avoid living in the past. Though Houston uh, has most of its core players locked up long-term, they still lost a Hall of Famer in Verlander, and yet the division is still bad enough that they'll still hold first place on what's looking like a slow trip to the bottom, just like the Dallas Cowboys. So Charlie... Should we stop referring to the Astros as the reigning World Series champs? Because that was so last year. Stop living in the past, Charlie. Boy, that is a big old wishful thinking file. If the Astros go 72 and 90 this year, props to that guy. Um, Massive personnel turnover. Okay, Justin Verlander, granted. Other than that, the Astros have as much back as any World Series champion has retained in years and years and years. Oh, they did lose their second worst everyday offensive player in Yuli Gurriel and replace him with the, by this guy, maligned Jose Abreu and his ridiculous contract. You mean the just under $20 million per year as opposed to the $20 million per year that Anthony Rizzo got to stay with the Yankees, the Anthony Rizzo who was a lesser player than Abreu last year? Um, it's spring training so uh, maybe sour grapes and, and, and whatever else the, the guy's feeling is not in, in regular season form. Um, he can hope for all that stuff and never say never. Uh, I guess you could note that Jerry Jones, the Cowboys have done a whole lot of nothing for about a quarter century now. They did win three Super Bowls in four years. So maybe he means the Astros do have one more World Series championship coming. Yeah. And last time I checked the Cowboys, they won a playoff game this year. And so, I mean, they're not some, you know, basement dwelling type club. And then they talk about the division they're being in so terrible. Well, the Cowboys won a playoff game and the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. So I, I don't really see the comparisons there. I understand the Cowboys division has been down in the past, but it's not the case anymore. So if you read this whole article, he's talking out both sides of his mouth. He really is about, oh, how, you know, the days are almost gone for the Astros, but they're still really good and they have all this other stuff. It's like he didn't want to really make a take. The one thing he did say was that the Yankees would win the, the regular season series against the Astros this year. This is the same stuff we get from the Yankees all the time. Oh, if we're rolling, the Astros can't stop us. It's live in fantasy land but that's fine by me because they actually play the games on the field in the real world so i'll take my astros have i used this yet uh, i know just the audio it sounds like i'm grunting and i'm grasping for straws that's that's what e-s-n-y yes e-s-n-y the the whatever that's hey it's the media elites so at least they're not trying to hide it look i and i do hope to your point Charlie, that uh, Mr. Benjamin got a good uh, got a good warm up in before he attempted that stretch. The the worst part about this take is just the lack of supportive facts, and seems to be like you said, Charlie, more based on hope. And I'm not going to read too much into a blog in which the photo they ran probably cost more than what they paid the writer. But the sentiment seems to be a good indication of where the New York fan base and and media are. The Yankees spent big money 
to retain their talent they already had and then bring in some free agents. Montas is already already down. Uh, Carlos Rodon got rocked in his uh, Grapefruit League debut over the weekend. The Yankees' hopes seem to be hanging on the Astros getting worse instead of the Yankees getting better. Yeah, plain and simple. And, and the Jerry Jones thing, the Astros just hired a new general manager. It's not just Jim Crane doing all this stuff. And they, they got somebody that I'm pretty excited about. I like what Dana Brown is all about. I like the way he kind of shoots from the hip and – he has big lofty goals of signing some important players for the team. So Jim Crane's not just going out there with him and Bagwell and throwing this thing together. He hired somebody very, very qualified. So I, I just don't, I don't see the comparison. The guy who helped put together one of the best major league rosters in, in Atlanta right now, uh, that that's supposed to be some sort of detriment. Also, he failed to mention what happened the last time the Astros changed out general managers. Didn't skip a beat. This guy is looking very narrow scope and looking for things to pick or nits to pick as opposed to looking at the totality of Jim Crane's ownership and when which he turned a bottom dwelling team around in record time and made them contenders very quickly. Everyone gets an opinion. Right? We all get one. <laughs> Some are just ridiculous. Uh, but one could pose to. I'm sorry. I, for, I forgot the guy's name. I'm yeah, not concerned. doesn't matter. Um, Sodium pentothal, or put a year's salary up on it. You want your team this year or the Astros team this year? Who will have better results? You think he's going to stick with the Yankees and all those older pitchers and pitchers with injury history, uh, as opposed to swapping for the Astros? Um, you know, after Aaron Judge, who's the second best Yankee offensively? Giancarlo Stanton, who volleys between really not that great in recent years or injured. Anthony Rizzo's a solid player. No one's taking him over. Whoever you take is the Astros' third-best offensive player. Bregman, Altuve, Jordan. Can we keep going? Kyle Tucker fourth. Um, so I really think some of it is wishful thinking, and he's probably pandering to a, a little coterie of Yankee fans on that. And, and that's okay, but yeah. it's not to be taken seriously. No, and, and we wouldn't know anything about pandering to an audience. Uh, but if you really want to own the Yankees, make sure you click like on this video right now because that'll help own them for sure. On to other, maybe more substantial things. We got some more updates on Michael Brantley over the weekend. And then today, uh, not only with the health, but answering the question of where he'll hit in the lineup. Uh, this will probably cause some waves in the Twitterverse. Dana Brown said of the weekend that Michael Brantley will probably be ready for opening day, maybe a week after. The more concerning update from Brantley is that he has once again left the team to attend to a family matter in which uh, we just hope everything is okay with his family first and foremost. Um, but do, do these moves or, or updates move the needle for you guys uh, with your concern level surrounding Michael Brantley? Not particularly. I found Dusty Baker as assertively as he said that that Brantley's his two hitter if healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope there was an unincluded ellipsis in that dot 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 against right handed pitching. Um, first, Brantley gets healthy. If so, if there's not just further age erosion or something with that shoulder inhibits the swing a little bit. Brantley in a two hole makes sense even over Jeremy Pena by the standard of job one at the top of the lineup is to get on base. Four years with the Astros, Michael Brantley, never an on-base percentage below 362. Jeremy Pena last season, 289, which is bad. And even in the two-hole, where the Astros' winning percentage was unbelievable and Pena was really good, 
His on-base percentage was still only 315. The batting average leapt up to 290, but he still rarely walked. You combine the power that he has that Brantley just simply does not at this stage of his career, and Pena's overall numbers in the two spot were really good. But a 362 on-base, well, uh, math whiz or not, that's substantially better than 315. And in that two spot, the job is to set that table for Jordan. Knock on wood, opening day, Jordan. And, and then Alex Bregman. Um, and one other point, right, of Altuve's getting on base. And he hit 300 last year. He walked at a higher rate than he ever has in his career. Altuve on first base. Brantley, Altuve held at first base, giving that hole to shoot for on the right side, especially where you can't load up a shift on the right side. Uh, so if Brantley reestablishes himself as healthy and still basically Michael Brantley, that's good. Uh, how does Pena respond going down to the bottom of the order where you lose that protection, which is generally overrated, having protection behind you in the lineup. But I think Pena is an exception, at least as a, as a rookie last year. Uh, I do think there reasonably was some cause and effect of seeing better pitches to hit with Jordan coming up right behind you or Alex Bregman or both. And Jeremy Pena said as much, you know, when he was asked about it, he's like, you know, you, you get pitched differently when Jordan's behind you. And he was able to capitalize on that. I'm a, just a big believer in it. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So I have wanted Jeremy to stay in that two spot. It, it's a lot like I saw it when Yuli was hitting in the two spot last year for Dusty. And I just, at this point in his career, we'll see how Brantley bounces back, but I don't expect a lot of pop out of him. And, and Yuli didn't have much pop last year either. I want somebody that going you know, to generate some power that they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Pena had 22 last year. I expect him to hit more this year. I think he's got a better chance of doing that if he's at the top of the lineup and he's got Jordan behind him. And we hit on this on the podcast a little bit. I just I don't feel like Michael Brantley needs protection. If you put him in the in the seven spot or something like that, I don't think his numbers are going to be all that much different than another part of the lineup. His whole career, he's been around a 300 hitter. So I just feel like you you miss out on more like more potential and what Pena can do by moving him. Whereas I don't see, like, I don't feel like Brantley's numbers are going to be like much better if he's hitting in that two hole spot. Whereas I feel like Pena's will be. So, because of that reasoning, I want to keep him. And I mean, this is probably Brantley's last year with the Astros. So, you know, why not kind of be looking at this year and towards the future and, and let Jeremy get used to hitting in that two spot? You know, I don't know that Dusty put together a big checklist of Brantley, Pena, Pena, Brantley in deciding this. Uh, more just going with, hey, Brantley's the veteran who's done it productively for years, so I'm deferring to that experience over Pena. Um, you know, even if the bases had not been enlarged, uh, Brantley's the second slowest guy in their lineup after Maldonado. Uh, maybe on some level, even subconsciously, could Dusty have considered, well, Valtuve gets on, he runs selectively. He was 18 out of 19 last year, not the high-volume guy in his younger days, but can't have much better percentage than that. Uh, if my two-hitter gets on, am I going to risk running into outs very much with Jordan and then Bregman coming up? You know, Just be prepared to trot around the bases ahead of a home run. <laughs> um, whereas Pena at the bottom with lesser hitters behind him if he's getting on, where maybe you're more apt to say, hey, try to steal your way in the scoring position for a McCormick or a Myers or a Maldonado. Um, Again, I have no idea if Dusty parsed the sentence to, to that extent, but that could be one element of making the case Brantley over Pena. Uh, but Brantley's not going to be an everyday player. Pena was much better against left-handed pitching 
been right-handed pitching last year, about 285 versus lefties, 240-something against righties. So uh, I would suggest that, that Pena should get the promotion into the two-hole against uh, left-handed hitters, at least, relative to Brantley. Um, and you could go off the board on this topic and say, you know what? Uh, I want my just better offensive players, right? The two-hole versus the six-hole, it's roughly a 60-plate appearance difference over the course of a season. Uh, you could push Kyle Tucker all the way up into that two-hole, and then you have both power and speed uh, and productivity. Uh, though I'm sure Dusty's thinking of Tucker as a more traditional, middle-of-the-order type guy batting fifth or sixth with a Brave. Quick question, guys. What do you think of these lineups Dusty's been running out in the spring? To your point, Charlie, we've seen him lead off Kyle Tucker in a few of these spring training games. Every time I've seen Pena in the lineup, it's been in the two spot behind yeah. Altuve. So, you know, I'm just that's why I was kind of thinking maybe Dusty's leaning towards batting him second, but clearly he's not. It, you, know, court, you know, if we're going to go by with what he said. So I'm just, you know, I'm kind of scratching my head. Like, so why is Pena hitting second behind Altuve in, in all these games? Why? Why wouldn't you try him in some other spots if ultimately that's where you're going you're gonna to use him in the regular season? I think in part it's just spring training where if a guy's not going the whole game, let me get him yep. in the top of the line and make sure he gets his three plate appearances yep. and hopefully get him out of there in the fifth inning. Uh, I would submit that Martin Maldonado has right <laughs> <at least> twice. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. we see Dubon hitting second in the regular season. So sometimes it's really hard to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with Charlie and, and and trying not to read too much into it because of the, of the Maldi and the three hole example. Um, I like the opportunity for Pena to be in that two hole, but I think we also have to take into consideration the opportunity to hit in front of Jordan may really be in question considering we don't know how much Jordan's going to play with health and load management questions. Uh, is there a point of diminishing returns in playing a guy like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Brantley and the two hole where you're going to get a higher uh, batting average guy who's maybe go more consistently going to get on base for you. But is it also more important that a guy like Jeremy Pena who has speed can get on the base? Uh, will we see, uh, Michael Brantley maybe have a little return of power because maybe his shoulder feels better. Maybe he uh, was experiencing a loss of power because his shoulder wasn't 100%. Not real sure. I mean, it's all things we're going to have to wait and see uh, when it gets rolled out. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm uh, I'm strangely much more optimistic we'll get to see more of Brantley uh, than Jordan, considering Jordan to this point in the Grapefruit League is not even swinging a bat yet. So that is a little concerning. And we didn't really even get to that. We're not even going to cover that. It's just, it's just really no news. So there's not much to, to cover on that. Um, General rule, 25-year-old players get better. 35-year-old yes. players get worse. Yes. Uh, Pena being the uh, decade younger, right? That's the star on the rise or superstar risen off of his postseason. Uh, Brantley off a season-ending injury at 35 he seems to be the kind of guy that if he can just make it to the batter's box, he'll still be able to put the bat on the ball. And if he's just a slap hitter, singles, doubles guy, he'll take a decent number of walks. If he can give you that on-base percentage over 350 and, and pain you sub 320, that's ample justification. But again, it's one more proof in the pudding item that this lineup is good and deep. And other than doing ridiculous stuff, you could draw the first six, seven guys out of a hat and you're going to have a very potent lineup. Yeah. yeah, and if they do go this way with Brantley hitting second, I'm guessing it's going to be Bregman hitting third that's going to be protecting him, and then Jordan after that. So, you know, maybe that's something to consider with, oh, well, that, that would be Bregman uh, protecting Brantley and the guys in front of him with Jordan protecting Bregman. So uh, that could be enticing as well.
Dusty likes the righty, lefty, righty, lefty, yep. righty, lefty. Uh, Jordan's their best offensive player unless Alex Bregman returns in full to 2019 mode. I don't want my best guy maybe not coming up in the first inning. Bingo. Well, speaking of the outfield, we got some updates on Kyle Tugger's negotiations over the weekend. Uh, how he's hitting in the Grapefruit League won't hurt him. Um, he's uh, hitting seven for 15 right now. And that's uh, not the only hardball he's playing because Dana Brown gave an update saying that if the Astros don't strike a deal with him before the season starts, they'll need to table the negotiations. Uh, the Astros have Tucker under team control for the next three seasons. So there's not a rush. So short of Dana Brown forging Jim Crane's signature, is there any chance we'll see a deal before the season starts, guys? I'm going to bet against yeah. I just think that Kyle Tucker, not because he lost the salary arbitration hearing specifically, and now he's out for contractual blood. <laughs> um, I just think the Astros are probably looking, hey, Kyle, Jordan took six, roughly 115. He's a lot better hitter than you. So we're not going to blow through that. But Kyle Tucker can point to all the free agent signings this offseason. Of course, the Astros counter, you're three years away from free agency. Then Team Tucker says, well, what about Austin Riley with the Braves? 25, 26 years old. Okay, better than me offensively, but as an all-around player, eh, he got 10 years, $212 million. So I would think unless the Astros really raise the average annual contract to over $25 million per year, uh, if there's not a two at the beginning of the, the total value of the deal, I'll say it does not happen before the season starts. Yeah, I'm not super uh, confident that that's going to get done either. It, it seems like Tucker's just kind of fine w with waiting it out, seeing how it goes. His agent's probably telling him the stuff we talk about, that your numbers are probably going to go up if you know, you're not getting shifted as much. We'll see if people continue to take their left fielder and, and move him like we've seen in spring. If they do that to Tucker, we just don't know that yet. But... If they don't, we should expect a little bit better numbers from Tuck. And if that's the case, then that's going to help him in negotiations going forward. I just He's one of those guys that's been so good at baseball his whole life that I think he's just going to wait his turn, get that big deal. It, it kind of reminds me of the Correa thing. Correa wasn't looking to get paid early. He wanted to maximize his value. I think that's where this is headed with Tuck. And again, this isn't a crisis, right? He's yeah. under Astros control for this season and two more. So yep. if they do an eight-year deal or a 10-year deal, great. But if not, it's still a long runway. And if you never get a deal done right at the end of 2025, then you just see where everything stands and what other big contracts you have to take care of. Have Altuve and Bregman extended and where are you at in terms of minor league prospects? Maybe Drew Gilbert is a, a young star center fielder and you have Jordan as your primary left fielder and you're thinking, well, we don't want to do another eight years, $25 million. Uh, those are those are down the road. I'm going to say issues, not even problems at this point. I guess if uh, Tucker eventually walks, the guy from Elite Sports New York gets another opportunity to take a a jab at Jim Crane. One of our commenters said, "I, you know, at some point you have to retain your best players." I would say the the pushback on that is that if your best players are always under team control that is how you retain your best players. And if you're moving the needle, or I should say, if you're always passing the baton onto the next set of young players and you're letting the other teams in MLB pay for the accomplishments of your players, 
and, you know, in arrears, that that's ideally how you want it. Let, let someone else play. If Kyle Tucker wants a $300 million deal or a $250 million deal, there won't be a shortage of teams that are willing to pay it. But the fact is, is that the Astros will have already cashed in on his rookie contract by getting a ring with him, at least one. And they have the opportunity uh, three more times, depending on how things go. So I, I think that's that's the ultimate answer. A whole yeah. bunch of players and fans are going to be saying, look at the San Diego Padres. They're a smaller market than us, and they pay everybody. Well, that's awesome. If you're a Padres fan and impressive, the go-for-it mode of, of Peter Seidler, their lead owner, and if they add Juan Soto at a half billion dollars on top of everything else that they've done the last year, good for them. Of course, they still haven't been to a World Series in this era. Are you going to have five, six teams say, damn the torpedoes and everything else, we'll pay everybody. Neither the, the well, uh, the Mets, the Padres, the Phillies right now are the three most prolific spenders. Two of them have no chance of going to the World Series in any given year. Right. Um, zero sum game from that standpoint. So, uh, again, I think if you're an Astros fan, it's, it's, it's spring training. So, you know, day to day game results don't matter. So, maybe uh, more attention than warranted gets put on stuff like this. Uh, Kyle Tucker's three seasons away from free agency. No biggie at this point. Yeah, move on to Fromber. They talked to that the, they're negotiating now with his agent. Maybe Fromber's looking to do something. I, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and staying on the on the outfield, uh, Brian McTaggart wrote a piece over the weekend uh, talking about the center field competition between Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers. Interestingly enough, absent from this article was any mention of Justin Dearden, whose last name I've been mispronouncing all this time. But uh, there wasn't any uh, mention of Justin Dearden, who's really gotten a lot of attention for the uh, power that he's been able to display uh, during the Grapefruit League. So, guys, how, how do you see this center field competition playing out between Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, and maybe sleeper candidate uh, Justin Dearden? Well, both right-handed hitters in the cases of McCormick and Myers uh, off their performance last season, especially you throw in a couple of glorious postseason moments. I have to think it's advantage McCormick unless he free falls through the rest of the spring and Myers goes off. Myers has the better numbers a little bit early, and we're talking a dozen, a dozen and a half plate appearances. Dearden, being the left-handed hitter, introduces that platoon wild card. Brantley's status for opening day impacts this also. Uh, McCormick and Myers certainly are both going to make the team. Dubon is going to make the team. Hensley is going to make the team. A backup catcher is going to make the team. That's your bench. So if Brantley is answering the bell, there's no spot out of the shoot for Dearden. Yeah, and, and we'll see what happens with Brantley. We just don't know. But with Dearden, too, I mean, he had some a nice catch in the outfield the other day. It threw somebody out, so he can play his defensive position well, too. He's a big boy. He's in really good shape. They put him in a conditioning program this year. To He kind of hit a wall at the end of last season, and he wanted to feel a little stronger. And early results are good. I I like what they have with this guy. And, and we were talking about Tucker earlier almost all the top prospects in the Astros system are outfielders, you know, outside of Hunter Brown and Diaz. So they're loading up at that position and they did let Springer walk. I wonder if there's some, something where they, they value outfielders, maybe at a slightly lesser level, or if maybe the numbers just weren't right for Springer and that has nothing to do with it. I don't know, but there is some history that, that they've let, 
you know, all-star center fielders. I know Tucker's a right fielder, but they've let all-star outfielders leave. I like what I see from Dearden. A lot of it's the the left-handed approach to play, as Charlie hit on. I, I think they need some more of that in the lineup. That's why I'm such a big proponent of keeping Tucker around. I, I think you really need that extra left-handed bat uh, to threaten outside of Jordan. And also not even mentioned is Drew Gilbert, who's waiting in the wings as well, who Dana Brown made the kind of issued the challenge before the Grapefruit League and kind of said, you know, we're, I'm, I'm looking for Drew Gilbert to make a push. Uh, but here's Justin Dearden just showing up. And, and, you know, like you said, Josh, he's out there flashing the leather, gunning guys down from right field at home. So guy can clearly play. They're giving him a lot of looks in center field. Clearly they have, you know, uh, you know some sort of uh, design to work him in center field. And I think Charlie, as you mentioned, I believe it was on last week's podcast where it really looks like, an opportunity for him and McCormick to kind of platoon again. Myers has a little bit more experience on, uh, on, on uh, Dearden. I respect that. I, I respect that the fact that they're trying to give Jake every opportunity to earn back his spot. He really looked like he was blossoming into a great young player prior to the, the shoulder injury. So they're going to try to give him every possible opportunity to be able to work himself back to where he was. But I think it's, Really interesting that you do have a guy and Justin Dearden who could certainly make a name for himself very quickly on this team, especially if we do see departures of Brantley uh, next year, as you mentioned, Josh, and maybe eventually uh, Kyle Tucker. Um, want to, well, man, we've run out of time here. Uh, we're 39 minutes. Uh, guys, over the weekend, uh, new Yankees pitcher Carlos Rodon was roughed up in, in spring training. He was give, he gave up five runs over six hits, including two home runs. Uh, new York hopes Rodon, who struggled with injuries, can have some better luck this season. Hey, as we all do, we, we hope he has a better healthy season too. Uh, Astros know a little bit something about pitchers who are struggling with health, as McCullers has yet to play catch in this uh, Grapefruit League spring training time. And so my uh, stone cold, or uh, my, excuse me, my bottom line question of the week to you guys is uh, I wanted to float out there. Who do you think between Carlos Rodon and Lance McCullers Jr., who do you think of those two guys gets their uh, next postseason win? And I, and let me throw it out before you guys answer. I want to also, I was very bad on this last week. Let me make sure that I get everyone who's in the comment section. You guys post your comments as well. And you can't just say one or the other, because I know we're mostly Astros fans here. Give us a reason why you think uh, Lance McCullers or if you, if, or Carlos Rodon is going to be the next person to get a playoff win on their uh, stat sheet. Guys, take it away. Well, I'll tell you which way I think the the listener viewer poll results will skew. Feel very yeah. confident about that. Yes. Uh, when is McCars going to be back? If turns out, oh boy, like 2022, we'll see in August. Well, if he can make it through August and September and be healthy and pitch the way he did over 47 innings in the regular season, he presumably slots third in the playoff rotation behind Fromber and Christian Javier. Uh, whereas Radon certainly is the Yankees' number two uh, behind Garrett Cole. Uh, at this point where the Astros and Yankees are involved, I think the default, the default answer is advantage Astros. So I'll go for McCullers, but heaven knows with his health. 
Yeah, this one's a tough one, Brandon. Um, I'm just going to default to McCullers mostly because that's our guy and he seems to come to play in the postseason. So he likes those big moments. So I'm going to go with McCullers here and I like the Astros offense better also. So if I'm going to pick somebody that's going to collect a win, uh, give me the guy that has some better hitters in the lineup. And is McCullers start going to be at home? Yeah, that too. Mm -hmm. That's a good, they're pretty, <laughs> pretty clear. Yeah, I, I think that the I'll give the credit to uh, Jack, our producer, uh, for bringing this point up, which is Rodon's going to be higher up in the in the lineup, and so therefore I think he might have an opportunity to win an early game and in a series, a, a divisional series. So perhaps just the fact that McCullers will get left out of the rotation in an early divisional series, um, theoretically. Uh, you would think that maybe that would just tip the scales a little bit in favor of Rodon. Uh, so let's read some. We've we've sneak previewed some of these, but we'll go through some of these. Uh, Astros Wharf says Rodon will get it because uh, Astros will get a first round buy in Yankees. I like won't. that answer. Yeah, it's a good answer. Uh, Eddie Ruiz says Lance didn't give me an answer, but again, we we knew which way they would would kind of go. Uh, I guess Rodon says Professor Ruvis because the Yankees will be playing wild card games uh, while we'll have a bye. And then uh, Warren Jen says need to see Lance throw a first a pitch in anger before I can say Lance. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's the reality of it. Is hopefully both guys will be healthy for the postseason, and hopefully we will get to see i don't know do you guys hope for a rematch for the yankees or does it get does it get tiring kind of beating up on on little brother is it do you would you guys prefer just to see a different league championship series matchup just for the sake of uh, you know parody uh, i'm all for meritocracy on this if they're both good enough to get there and we'll see if the uh, yankees huff and puff and can finally blow down the uh, astros in the postseason uh, or if they are to be eternally in the role of Charlie Brown with the Astros playing Lucy and every time the Yankees think they're going to kick that ball. Whoop, there it goes. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give Warren uh, some credit here, too. He brings up a great point. Is it a given that the Yankees even make the playoffs? Uh, no, I guess, I guess not. It's not. <laughs> no, it, and I guess I would say it'd be more fun to make fun of them if they don't even get to a <laughs> ALCS or something like that to face the Astros again. If, if they can't even get to that game, I'm sure we'll see stupid articles like we talked about for the following season, even if that happens, but I, I'm fine. Whoever the Astros, you know, beat whatever I, I I'm down for it. I don't really care, but yeah, I'd like to tease Yankee fans. If, if they don't even get to that point, why not? Josh, you make probably the best point is that you don't really care who they play as long as they're beating them. I'm with yep. you. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. So, guys, that's going to uh, wrap up episode 13, lucky episode 13 of Stone Cold Strohs. I want to thank Charlie Plillo and Josh Jordan for joining me and talking some Strohs with me today. We creep ever closer to opening day. We're going to do this uh, podcast all season, uh, during the season. Same time, same day. Thanks to Jack Brain, our producer. Uh, guys, we will talk to you next week on episode 14 of Stone Cold Strohs. Go Astros.